0: put this picture on the screen up here. This is a gift I received uh, from a Catholic priest friend of mine uh, about five years ago. So let me just, first reaction, when you see that picture, what do some of you think out loud? Mary, of course. What? Strings? Strings? Okay, there's, oh, like uh, beams of light. How many of you, if you don't mind raising, how many of you grew up with some Catholic influence in your life? And some of you may have seen this, may see this picture, and it may make you kind of, ugh. Others of you may be kind of maybe nostalgic, remind you of growing up. Some of you who grew up in churches like I grew up, when you see something like this, your first reaction is, no, no, no. You know, we're not going to, you know, Mariology, We're not going to worship Mary. And, and uh, I have this, and we all have different reactions because, uh, unfortunately... She shouldn't be, but Mary has kind of been a point of division even between Catholics and Protestants. And this priest that gave me this picture, a good friend of mine, he used to be at St. Paul's Catholic. He's, he's now in a different town. But he gave this to me after we had a long discussion about Mary and about what do we learn from Mary. And, you know, we started off the service today with the women reciting the the song of Mary. But it seems like, you know, we kind of have left Mary to the Catholics and we kind of leave it alone because we're not sure what to do with it, her, whatever. And no, I don't pray to this in the morning. No, I don't put a candle in front of it. I don't rub it when I pray, you know. It just sits there on my shelf where my Bible is, where I read every morning, and the visual reminder, and I'll explain why, it's a really good, it's not just a reminder of my friend Father Dan Atkins, it's a reminder of a hero of mine and why I would love to be more like Mary. And my challenge today for you is how do we become more like Mary? So this week and next week, you know, we just finished John. We finished John 17 and probably not going to revisit the rest of John because I did that some last year at Easter. But this week and next week, doing Mary this week and Joseph next week. All right, Mary, Joseph. You can remember that. All right, Mary, Joseph. All right. And kind of what have we learned from these two people who really should be heroes of ours? I mean, really heroes of ours and heroes of our kids. So let's look at Mary. Um, you know, go back for a second here. I want to, I, a couple of things I've learned about Mary, uh, icons, pictures, whatever. Uh, look down at her feet. Serpent. Most Mary pictures, statues, whatever, will have Mary standing on a serpent. Remember the, the prediction in the, in, the, in the Bible that, um, you know, that, that through the sea that Satan would be struck. Satan, you know, the heel would crush his head. So there's this meant, meant sense that Mary's responsiveness to God was part of destroying the work of Satan. You'll also notice in almost every picture you see of Mary, either one or both hands are open, like this. And we'll, I'll explain that a, later on. And, you know, it often has these beams of light coming out to it. And then he said strings, but it's like beams of light. So it's not like she's like Star Wars, you know, that. There's something more about what the hands say to us about Mary and what we can learn from her as our, I guess she's probably more called a heroine, not a hero, but a heroine of ours uh, for us to be more like her, all right? So let me start this morning. We're going to read from Luke. And if you've been around Exodus for the last couple of years, I've talked about Mary a number of times, but I think it's always good at Christmas to kind of bring back Mary in our example. And I've got to put on my old man reading glasses. Once I hit 50 years old, I'm not embarrassed anymore about putting my reading glasses on, so. But please don't get me a large print Bible. I don't need that yet, and I've already got two mailings from AARP. So, anyway, uh, Luke chapter one, verse twenty-six. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And again, we don't know for sure, but culturally, what we know about the culture, she was most likely fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old, maybe as young as fourteen. All right, so not not. I mean, think about people you know that are 14, 15, or 16. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. That's what it says Mary was. all right. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. Few have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. But Mary asked the angel. Remember it said before Mary was confused and disturbed. All right, not in a mental kind of way, but probably close for some of us. The angel replied, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, let me stop for a second real quick, too. Uh, Luke was a doctor, a medical doctor. Luke wrote this gospel. He talks about, he's researched this. So when he says Mary said she was a virgin, he knew what she meant. She was a virgin. No humanly possible way for her to get pregnant. So Luke wasn't just using the phrase in some kind of broader, holy virgin kind of sense, that he knew medically what that meant. And that he, she said what she meant, and he wrote what she said she meant. All right. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Remember, Elizabeth was her cousin, and her son, Elizabeth's son, was to be John the Baptist. People used to say that she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. All right? Now, I always like to put things in this kind of form. You've seen this maybe before. I put it in kind of this uh, script form. I, and I want you to see yourself in the story. Probably best to see yourself as Mary and not Gabriel, unless you have some kind of delusions of being an angel. All right? So, right now, look at your. So, Gabriel, and again, whenever an angel appeared in the Bible, people had some response of fear. So don't think Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life or don't think chubby little cherub angel who we'd probably laugh at. There was some, something that was awesome about this being probably looked somewhat like a human being. And there's no evidence they had wings in these situations, like, oh, they had to hide their wings under their sport jacket or whatever. But Gabriel comes to Mary in a very ordinary part of her day. We don't know what she was doing, but she was doing something uh, that ordinary peasant girls do. Greetings favorite woman the lord is with you. And the bible says Mary was confused and disturbed. Another way you could translate that she was agitated. She was like what oh. I mean she wasn't just oh yeah, That was good. Anyway. No, but I'm saying that because often we read the bible with these hallmark kind of notions. Mary was a human being, and just like when something comes upon you from God that is way outside of the box, you should be confused and disturbed, and you will be, and don't let that bother you. I mean, it'll bother you because you're confused. She was, another, you know, other, other translations say troubled, confused, disturbed, agitated. Something physically was going on in her where she was her mental, you know, pine cone in her stomach like, what in the world? I don't get this. Of course, Then it gets more confusing. Angel says that you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. And Mary's like, but how how can this happen? So if she was confused and disturbed then, now she's really confused and disturbed and probably racing through her mind like, what is going on? And again, I'm saying that because often God will... come in and ask you something or you'll sense that God's wanting you to do something. And Mary was an ordinary person. She was not like this theologically trained. She wasn't even the daughter of a priest. She had ordinary written all over her like all of us do. But God spoke to her. The Bible is not an account of special people that God spoke to. It's a account kind of ordinary people that God spoke to, and they've become extraordinary because of their response to God, not because they were special, you know, supernatural beings beforehand. And I'm saying that because God speaks to every one of us, ordinary people. And... Um, you might think, well, he doesn't speak to me. He, he does and he will. And don't guilt yourself for not knowing that or sensing that now. Just give yourself open time and God will begin to nudge and speak and you'll begin to kind of understand what his voice sounds like. She says, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. She asked all kinds of questions. Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Read that le- next line with me. For nothing is impossible with God. One more time. For nothing is impossible with God. There's no mountain he can't move. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Now, <clears throat> you know, Luke recorded this. My guess is Luke may have talked to Mary or talked to somebody who knew Mary. Luke obviously wasn't there writing it down. But oh, I want you to notice one thing I, I think is very interesting about this is that she goes from being confused and disturbed I don't get it God I, to I'm the Lord's servant may everything have said, me, said about me come true in probably 60 to 90 seconds she makes that shift from uh, uh, okay now I don't know about you but for me Often that lag time maybe days, weeks, I wish it was more like hours or minutes. sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. There was something this week where I felt like God was wanting me to say something at a given time in a conversation i didn't, and I said it later, and it didn't it just didn 't go as well, so sometimes there's things you kind of know I, I should have said that then, but I, but in this case it 's like. This lag time from being confused and disturbed and kind of perplexed and troubled and agitated to being very responsive and submissive in a strong, strong kind of way, says the God, says to the angel, okay, God, whatever. No conditions, God. I mean, what's racing in Mary's head right now? How am I going to tell Joseph? How am I going to tell my family? Nobody's going to believe me. This has never happened before. I mean, to, to go from from confused and disturbed to whatever you want to do, God, no conditions, in 90 seconds or maybe it was 120 seconds. It might have been five minutes. We didn't know how long the conversation was. But it was a short amount of time. And my hope for me and my hope for all of us is how do we begin to shorten that response time when God speaks to us, especially when it's some of these confusing, disturbing, agitating, troubling things. Um... Because it seems like what God, again, what we say at Exodus, what we value and what our goal is for every one of us and our definition of success is we become people in, who hear and respond to the voice of God. Hear and respond, hear and respond. That's, that's the kind of people that God seems to value all throughout the stories of Scripture. So how do we become this kind of person that has a hear and respond and we kind of have a shortened response cycle where we can start realizing, oh, that's God, I want to do this, all right? Let me just mention a few things from this passage. Um, three things. Uh, the overarching thing I want to say to all of us, and again, if you've been on Exodus, you might almost get tired of hearing this, but I, I keep saying it because I need to keep hearing it. And if I need to keep hearing it, I'm guessing at least one or two of you want to keep, need to keep hearing this. Expect God to speak to you. You, we have to expect God to speak to us. God is a relational God who talks to us. He doesn't just—it's it's almost like if my wife and I got married and we talked to each other on our wedding day, and then if you said, "Have you talked to your wife lately?" Oh, it's been five or six years. Well, we're married. We're married. I got it on the, i got it on the marriage certificate. But you don't talk. Oh no, I, I read a few letters she wrote me back then, but I, we don't talk at all. Why should we? You know, of course, we think that was ludicrous. So. God wants to talk to us. He does talk to us. When Jesus announced the kingdom of God is near, the Jewish man and woman and boy girl understood Jesus' pronouncement to mean life with God is now possible. This conversational relationship where God speaks and works through us to, to heal and bring his world to where he wants it to be, that's now what's possible for ordinary men and women. Not super saints, not super Christians, not people who live in caves. You know, not people who have fifteen thousand, you know, academic and seminary degrees behind their name. Ordinary people. So expect God to speak to you. But sub point one is: be prepared to be troubled and confused. My guess is there's a number of you here that have sensed God prompting you, saying something to you. And you kind of know what that feeling is a little bit like, uh, if I do that and then you start seeing the negative ramifications of what happens if I do what God asks me to do and the negative ramifications usually have to do with how others will respond to you. Often how others who are also claimed to be Christians will respond to you. And like, oh, don't, you know, that's a little bit radical. Shouldn't do that. You know, or So you will be, not every time God speaks to you. I mean, that's not the litmus test of God speaking to you. But if you sense troubled, confused, disturbed, kind of, but you feel troubled and confused, but yet you feel like something feels right about it in a weird kind of way. You know, like if, even like for me, when I, you know, when my wife's telling me this week about this, pastor's wife and I it, it kind of was a, it was an emotionally troubling moment for me not in like oh I didn't fall apart in the store but it, something stirred in me and you all everyone even knows what that feels like when something kind of it's almost like bing something happens inside your mind your emotion somewhere and you feel it in your body all right so don't be thrown off by that yes God is a God of peace Jesus came to bring peace on earth Peace doesn't mean you won't, you won't be troubled or confused at times, all right? So if you sense God asks you to say something to somebody, and right now there's probably some of you who have a sense that God's wanted you to say or do A, B, or C, and you're letting your troubledness and confusion and even the agitation about it stop you. But I'd say just keep going. Keep pressing on through that, all right? So be prepared to be troubled and confused. Second thing, expect God to speak to you. Go back, sorry. Next one, next one back. Should be one more. Yes, be prepared to ask questions. Mary said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I mean, Mary had some knowledge of biology, physiology. God is not threatened by your questions. And um, actually, I think God's honored by our questions. So when you're troubled and confused... I mean, I think about the story of uh, Gideon in the Old Testament when God told Gideon he was going to lead an army of God's people against the Midianites, who were 120,000, who way outnumbered them, and Gideon wasn't even an army guy. And Gideon just started pelting God with questions. And a friend of mine once told me, well, that's because Gideon didn't have any faith, and he should have just done what God said for him to do. And I said to this friend of mine, no, I think it's because Gideon had faith he asked questions. God doesn't expect us to kind of check out our minds and be dumb intellectually and just do whatever he says. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay for her, Mary to say to the angel, I, 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 how is this going to happen? You know, if you, sense God, if you sense God wants you to buy a gift for one of these AIDS clients to their family, and you're like, well, I don't have 30 bucks right now. I'm a student. I, it's okay to ask God, God, where's the money going to come from? He may not answer you right away. <laughs> But it's okay to ask the question, or if you feel like God's asked you to be involved in something, or with homeless people, or some ministry, or whatever. Oh, I don't have the time for that, God. It's okay to ask God, God. I don't. Where am I going to find the time for that? Or God, I can't. I'm not skilled enough to do that. I don't have the education to do that. I don't have the experience to do that. I don't have the money to do that. It's okay to ask questions and just be ready to ask questions. God loves those kind of conversations, right? Last thing, among others, we learned from Mary. We expect God to speak to you, but be prepared to open up your hands. One of the things that happens on Sunday morning here is, you know, we there's a handful of us, some of them prayer team, some others in leadership. We pray with together over there in, in that side room over there. And then some of them continue to pray and, and get a sense of maybe what, is, what, what, what might God be saying today? Who might be here and what might God want them to hear? Well, one of the things they sensed when they were praying independent of knowing what I was going to speak about, was they said, the sense is there may be people here this morning who really are wrestling with giving up control to God in some area of their life. Now, is that a coincidence? If it is, it's a pretty cool one, but I don't think it is. Because what Mary modeled here, and what Mary didn't just model, I mean, she had to wrestle and do it, was I have all these questions that are unanswered, I have no idea what tomorrow will look like or the next week. Because when I tell Joseph, when I tell my parents, boy, I, don't, I have no idea how they're going to respond. I may be out of a marriage and out of my family. I have no idea. You can ask questions of God, but sometimes, often frequently, responding to God means you've asked the questions, but they still are unanswered to your idolatry of control point of view. And I'm saying that because I'm the same way. I kind of want to know, well, God, yeah, I'll do that, but can you map out all 10 steps for me so I know exactly how it ends? And I often say to people, I want to know how the game ends sometimes before I'll step on the court. But God doesn't always cooperate with our agenda of control. And uh, be honest, it's a myth of control. None None of us are in control of our lives. But is there some issue that you really feel like God's prompting you, nodding you, pushing you to let go of? I don't know if it's a relational issue, if it's some agenda about what you thought your life would or would not be about, if it's some kind of financial issue, some kind of career issue, some, whatever it is. And it's something that you thought for long has been part of who you are. Well, that's always I've always felt that was going to be true about me and my future. But it may not be from God. Are you willing to let go of that? Are you willing to say, you know what, may it be unto you... Or what did Mary say? May it be unto me as you have said. Let's go back to the picture here for a second. Let it, yeah, let it be done unto me as you have said. There's all kinds of different versions. This is a really, I really like this way the prayer is stated. And that's why you'll see hands of Mary always open. Because it's a posture of openness to God. God, whatever, what, let it be unto me as you have said. I think I've shared with you before when I first bought my uh, wife her engagement ring, Asked her to marry me. Her first response was, "I can't say no. I can't say yes." So, asked her about what that meant. I still don't know what it meant, but she eventually said yes. But after that, I was I was confused and perplexed and all that. And I actually put the diamond ring in my hand and I said, "God, I, you know what I want, but let it be into me as you have whatever you want." You know, to say to God, "I will follow you, no conditions." Sometimes you may need to put your wallet in your hand. A relationship in your hand, a picture, something that represents whatever you're trying to let go of that you can't let go of, and open your hands before God. All right? Let it be unto me, God, as you have said. Whatever you want, I will follow you, no conditions. All right, say that with me. No conditions. One, two, three. No conditions. One more time. No conditions. Wait, wait, sorry. One, two, three. No conditions. Can you say that to God? It's hard. Because we're, we're fearful that God may, you know, send us to Africa for 15 years of our life as a missionary. You know, we have all these fears about what will God do if I give him total control. Let it be done to me as you have said. Why don't you just say that with me. Let's, we'll do it twice. Here we go. One, two, three. Let it be done to me as you have said. One more time. Let it be done to me as you have said. I right, want everybody to stand up and assume as much of a... And I'm not trying to manipulate you spiritually, but assume as much of a merry posture as you can with your hands open down by your waist, all right? Open down by your waist. And um, loud enough for only you to hear. And if you f- don't feel like you can say it, it's okay. Nobody will know you didn't say it. But just whisper out loud to yourself. And you know what you're saying to God about, well, you know the situation you're talking about. I want you to whisper to God, let it be done unto me as you have said, all right? If that's you, and if it's not you, it's okay. It's better not to say it than to tell God something you know not is true, all right? So just while Jeremy's playing here, it's like about a minute or so, and you just may need to whisper, barely whisper, God, let it be unto me as you have said. So take the next minute and just have that conversation with God. Jesus, would you uh, let it be done unto us, unto me and unto us, whatever you have said. So we want to say to you, we will follow and do what you ask us to do, no conditions. And um, we know we can trust you. And we know, like in the story of Mary, what results when we become those kind of people is we deliver a crushing blow to the enemy. And we block his work, we kill his work, so that your work of freedom and life and joy and restoration has no more obstacles. That's the kind of people we want to be. Because we want to be people who are then your ambassadors of joy, real joy, real life, real abundance, real contentment, real forgiveness, and we want to be those kind of people. So thank you again, God, for giving us Mary uh, as someone to look up to and to aspire to be like. And we love you, uh, and we ask this all in your name. Amen. Go and have a seat. We end every service by taking communion. And uh, essentially, you know, we, what we do is we have people come up. As soon as we start singing, you're welcome to come up. We don't-